grace and peace to you in Jesus' name, dear friends, brothers and sisters. Amen. As I prepared tonight's message, read the Christmas story again, for many of us it's something we've heard many times before. Me as well. But there was something that stuck out to me this year. It, it was an aspect of, in particular, those first seven verses of Luke chapter 2 that I'd not stopped to think about before. And I, I think I'd not caught it before because I've not preached on just those verses. We know how it's going to keep going on, right? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, all that kind of thing. But it's these first seven verses, when, when they're broken up by themselves, something stuck out to me. There's no dialogue. There's nobody speaking. We don't have anyone's words. We don't have any, any remarks that anyone made about all this, this travel, this journey, this decree. Nobody talks. It, it's just events that happen. A, a decree comes down from this far-off emperor. So, all across the Roman world, people pack up and start shuffling around to wherever their familial hometown is to be counted. And among those travelers, you've got this young couple. Joseph, carpenter, his fiancée, Mary, both of them from the family line of David, both of them from the tribe of Judah. And so they're headed back to Bethlehem. And they get to Bethlehem and they settle down there for the time to wait for the census takers to conclude their work. And while they're there, Mary has her baby. It just all happens. That's what we have in these first seven verses. Just a bunch of things happening. Christmas can kind of feel like that, can't it? As just a series of events that there's just one thing kind of after another. You've got Christmas parties for the kids at school that you've got to make sure you send them with their stuff for those. And then you've got maybe a, a holiday party at work and you've got to show up with whatever you're signed up to bring. And you've got extra church services and you've got gifts to go buy and you've got Christmas cards to send and you've got thank you notes to write after all that. And somehow the whole month of December just flies right by. Just one thing happening after another. And it's that that I thought this, this first Christmas was like that in a lot of ways. Just a lot of things happening all at once. You've got Mary, Joseph, hearing the news about this, this census, this decree from the Roman Emperor Caesar. So they've got to pack up and they've got to get on the road. It's not a terribly long trip. Israel's not a big country and it's not a long distance between Nazareth, where they lived up in the north, and Judea. Bethlehem down in the south, 90 miles, give or take. So plotting it out on Long Island, uh, you're talking something from like the Brooklyn Bridge to Mattituck is about the distance that Mary and Joseph had to travel. What could you do that drive in? Two hours in good traffic, probably call it three to be safe. Probably call it four to be safe. Walking it, I checked this out on Google Maps earlier this week, uh, walking from the Brooklyn Bridge to Mattatech would take you 31 hours nonstop with some good shoes. Imagine making that trip today, where you don't have a car, where you're not booking a direct flight from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where you're wearing sandals, where when it's dark out, you're done walking, where you've got a third trimester pregnant woman coming along with you, where you're lugging some luggage. It, 
by all accounts, Mary and Joseph probably took a week to make this trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Then they finally get to Bethlehem, and when they get there, there's a lot of things happening. It's been things happening ever since they left Nazareth, and it's things happening when they get to Bethlehem. David's family is an extensive group. The, The tribe of Judah is one of the only tribes left the time of the exile. Most people are headed back in that direction. Mary and Joseph probably did not, just to kind of counter one of the popular kind of pictures we have of Christmas. They did not probably have to knock on all these different inns in town. They weren't knocking on the hotels and the motels to try and find room. This was where their families were from. Mary and Joseph probably stayed with family, right? We have this picture of Mary and Joseph kind of coming over the last hill before Bethlehem, and all of a sudden Mary's water breaks, and Joseph's out there knocking on every door in Bethlehem trying to find them a spot. They had probably already, by the time of Jesus' birth, arrived, settled in with some family, and were waiting there, right? That's what the text tells us. While they were there, not right as they were getting there, but while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So they had family around when Jesus was born. Like we have family around at Christmas. Aunts, uncles, cousins. I mean, if you think about the fact that their families were all required to return to their familial hometowns, Mary's mom might have been there to help her during the birth when Jesus was born. But we don't know. We don't know. Regardless of whatever the exact circumstances were, it wasn't easy. Birth just isn't, in general. But there were a number of complicating factors. For one, Mary's trying to give birth in a, a house, probably that's housing every cousin from the length and breadth of Israel. And this is the reason that the story tells us there was no guest room available for Mary and Joseph and the arriving baby, Jesus. It doesn't mean that they were sort of shut out of the Motel 6 there in town, right? Nope, sorry, no vacancy, didn't you see the sign? What it meant was there was no private place in this family dwelling for Mary to have her baby. No private place, but more than that, under Old Testament ceremonial law, giving birth would render Mary ceremonially unclean for a time. And anyone under the same roof as her could be rendered ceremonially unclean by interacting with her. And so, one, for Mary's privacy, and two, to make sure that no one else is affected by that people can still go to worship while they're in Bethlehem there, uh, Mary and Joseph are given semi-privacy in the stable attached to the dwelling as a private place for Mary's baby to be born. And now this is where the Christmas story slows down. Again, we've got all these things happening all at once. There's just this decree that comes down from Caesar Augustus that gets everybody in the whole Roman Empire moving along. And Mary and Joseph are moving along. They're, they're making good time, but they're, they're taking a week. Right? And then they're there in Bethlehem waiting for the census takers to do their work. There's a lot of things going on in those first seven verses and It's only seven verses of the Bible. It's not a whole lot. Months of of events are covered in those seven verses. And then we stop and, and we slow down. And again, you know the story, how the rest of this chapter goes. And there were shepherds 
living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appears to them. Right? We get the, the angels, first one, and then this multitude singing praise over these awestruck shepherds. And they hurry down into Bethlehem to see what's going on there. We, we take probably twice as much time over the next chunk that we'll be reading from Luke chapter 2 to cover just a couple of hours of time where we've spent seven verses on these months. Why? Why is this baby being born the important thing? Why is this the thing where the story slows down? Why isn't Caesar Augustus given a little more than, than two words? Just his name shows up, right? And one action, he issued a decree. That's it. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, there are still structures built by his orders 2,000 years ago that stand over in Rome and Italy around the Mediterranean. And that's all the mention that this guy gets? What, what's so special about this baby that the story is going to slow down for him? I know most of you understand why we slow down for this baby. You already get what's, what's happening in this story. Well, we do Christmas, right? We do this every year so we can remind ourselves what's happening in this story, why we slow down at this point. God came down to earth. God was born as this, this baby. This is God coming to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us is the name he's given. This was God, the, the almighty creator, incomprehensible and glorious, being born as a baby, who cried, who ate, who needed his diaper changed. This was God putting on a body and allowing himself to be picked up, carried around, handled. The, the one who made everything happen, the one who made the universe happen, the one who makes everything in our lives happen, became someone to whom things happen. I mean, that's the what, right? That's the what of Christmas. There's still a why here, right? Why did God do this? Why did God allow himself to be a child? Why did God become someone who could be touched and handled and grabbed and dragged and tried and killed? I mean, it's the pat answer. It's the, the simple answer. It sounds too easy, but it's because he loves you. That's it. That's the, the, the reason behind Christmas. God loves you. And God knows because he lived in this world and he knows what it is to live in this world and he knows what it's like to live life like we live life. That life can feel to you at times like it's just a bunch of random things happening to you. That you are someone to whom things happen. That you have no control. That there's no one looking out for you. No one interested in you. Man, is that not something that touches the heart of New Yorkers? We're not sure that anyone else that we bump into is looking out for anyone but themselves. And so we know we need to be looking out for ourselves. God became the one to whom things happened. To whom rejection would happen, to whom 
betrayal would happen, to whom injustice would happen, to whom death would happen. And he did that all for you. The Christmas story slows down here because this is what it's all about. God coming down to, to make all of that happen for you. And so that's why we, we get together, we worship like this, right? Slowly, contemplatively, with songs and readings and, and meditations on scripture. Because we want a time to slow down, to, to think about these wonderful truths. That's what we're doing here for this hour that we're together. I want to encourage you, let the rest of tonight be a time of slowing down as well. Take, take this stuff home with you. Take the, the folder with you. Pull your Bible down off the shelf. Read this story again tonight before bed. Slow down. Let it soak into you. Contemplate it. Meditate on it. Ponder it like Mary does later. Wonder at what it is that God did here promising you, guaranteeing you that you are not just someone to whom things happen, you are someone for whom the greatest thing in the history of the world happened. You're God's child. He loves you. Merry Christmas. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today on Grace of God Sermon Cast. We hope this episode has been a source of inspiration and reflection for you. As we wrap up, we want to remind you that Grace of God Lutheran Church is here for you and we invite you to be a part of our community. If you have any questions or want to learn more about our services or simply connect with us, you can visit our website at graceofgod.church. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to stay updated on future episodes. And if you enjoyed today's content, please consider leaving us a review. Your feedback means a lot to us and helps others discover the message we're sharing. Thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, may the grace of God be with you always.